Praise the Lord, church. If we could all stand. Wow, those lights are so bright. Um, we're going to go ahead and pray over the service, and then I'm going to uh, have, you, have you take a seat and give some thanks. But let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to be here today speaking, Lord, and that we are able to receive a word from you. Lord, I ask that you would let's, let this to be tilled ground, Lord, that we would be able to receive what word you have for us today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Yes. Y'all can be seated. And um, I just want to say a huge thank you to um, my pastor and my sister pastor and um, Bishop and sister uh, Bishop and, um, and my family for coming and everybody um, for supporting and, and for you guys. I mean, this, you know, this is, I know I've been here for quite a long time, but I thank this church and this ministry for giving me an opportunity to speak to you and for you all welcoming me, even though it's been a long time, but I thank you all for welcoming me here. So, let's go. Okay, so um, we are going to, I'm going to talk today about um, building the house. Um, so I was trying to, to decide what to talk about today, and um, I started with a subject that had a lot of history attached to it. Um, if you know me, you know that I hate history. I'm super, super, and, and I know that that's terrible. Like, you're supposed to like it. You know, like, it's his story. You're supposed to like history. I hate it. Like, to me, I can't even remember those simple little things. You know, like, they're like, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And I'm like, I don't know, 1992? I don't know when he sailed the ocean blue. Okay? <laughs> like, I just forget these things. And um, one day, I, 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 I wanted to tell this story on myself. Um, one day, I, can, I remember um, that the news was talking about how Nelson Mandela died, and I was like, everybody at work was talking, oh my gosh, did you know Nelson Mandela died, and every, you know, the news is saying all this stuff, and people at work are talking about all this different stuff, I'm like, okay, Nelson Mandela died, all right, and so I came home, and Stephen and I are talking, and if you know him, he loves history, he, that, he teaches history, and um, so we're talking about it, and I'm like, why is everybody making a big deal about this Nelson Mandela dying? I was like, isn't he like a country singer? And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you think that Nelson Mandela is Willie Nelson. That's who you think that is. And that's who I thought it was. I thought it was Willie Nelson. So I got a history lesson that day on who Nelson Mandela was. I think I still got, I think I got a little bit of it in my head. So needless to say, I decided not to talk about that subject and decided to stick with something that I know. So as uh, most or some of you may know, uh, we actually just built in, or moved into our newly built home last week, literally a week from yesterday. So, woo. yes, um, such an exciting thing. It was a God thing. And as I started to prepare uh, this message, I kept going back to a scripture that I can remember um, that really spoke to me actually in Bible college, which has been a long time since I've been there. So, um, I'm going to tell it to you. It was, it's Proverbs 14.1. Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Now, I, um, I like to have more words. I'm a woman. <laughs> we have more words. And um, so I like to look at different, um, like, translations. I always like to look at the King James, but then I like to look at different versions to help me understand better. So I look in the Amplified, which has lots of words. 
And um, it says, it, this is the translation for the Amplified. The wise woman builds her house on a foundation of godly precepts, and her household thrives. But the foolish one, who lacks spiritual insight, tears it down with her own hands by ignoring godly principles. Um, that's hefty. That's, I mean, you know, it tells you right there how you build it and how you pluck it down. And now, for those of you men, I know the scripture says woman, but I do believe that it probably means person. But just in case you don't believe me, the Bible also deals with men or people in general. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat up the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. The Bible also says in Psalms 127, 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, there's a couple things that I've learned from this whole house building process, and I believe that it can help us all today remember what God wants for us. I'm going to go through some of the process um, that it takes to, for a house to be built. And hopefully by the end of this, we have some good practical things that are going to help us build our own spiritual homes. Uh, the first thing that has to happen is there has to be blueprints. Before you can ever start really doing anything in a new construction, you must have blueprints. It what's, it's what tells you where things go, how tall or how wide the walls have to be, where the electrical outlets go, where the ductwork goes, duct. I don't know how you say that, but duck work. Uh, where the walls go, where, what section, um, there's even a section of blueprints, I don't know if you know this, but there's a section of blueprints that actually tell you where, like, the toilet paper holder is supposed to go and where the towel bar is supposed to go. There's, th there's even, like, those little minor details get put on your drawings. Just like those blueprints lay out every detail, God is interested in every little detail. In Genesis, he gives Noah some very clear directions on how to make the ark. Make it out of gopher wood. The length should be 300 cubits, the breadth of 50 cubits, and the height 30 cubits. In Exodus 25 through 27, the Lord speaks to Moses about making the tabernacle. He gives such specific details about every single little um, piece of furniture. And he even gives the details of, you know, the rings and the breadth and the width and all the stuff of how the tabernacle itself is supposed to be um, constructed. He cares about the details of our life, and his word is full of instruction to us on how to build our spiritual home. Unless our, we are following the Lord's plans, our efforts are for nothing. A verse um, that most of us, I think, could probably quote um, is Psalms 119.105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm going to take a drink real quick. And you get kind of parched up here. So if we want direction on how to live our lives and how to build our spiritual home or our temple, then we have got to stay in God's word. It is our light. It is our daily bread. One thing that I think is so interesting, actually, about um, the, our builder, we went through Ryan Homes to build our home. Okay, has anyone known like a hundred people that have probably built a Ryan home? Like, there's a thousand of them. I think I can't remember if your neighborhood, Sister Valley, it, it was yours a Ryan Home neighborhood too? No, okay, I couldn't remember. But there's like 50 of them just in Stark County. I feel like 
they build these homes every day. These builders have done this hundreds of times. But every time that I went to my house, there were the plans were still sitting there on the counter. Every time. They, they've built this a hundred times, the exact same model, the exact same way, but yet they still refer to those drawings. Actually, on um, our Facebook page, we we're on like a Ryan Holmes Facebook page, and they were telling people, take pictures. If you get in your house, take pictures of those drawings. Those are like gold, because if you ever want to add an outlet, or if you want to knock out a wall, or you want to add a room, or something like that, it's super important that you know what's behind those walls. Those blueprints are going to tell you exactly where to go and how to do something. If we, we have got to make sure that we are constantly in the word of God. That is our blueprint. We must not take his word for granted. It is the only way we can truly build our spiritual house. If you're in a crisis, go to the word. If you're having trouble with a friend or your marriage, go to the word. If you need to make some changes in your life, go to the word. It is our blueprint for our every day. Now, after those blueprints are drafted um, and printed, then the builder usually, or the, the drafts person, or, the, build, or the, um, the client, I guess, really, publishes those prints for bidding. Um, now, some of you may not be familiar with this process. I, I am because I actually used to work in a construction company. Um, when I first, uh, soon after I graduated college, I worked for a construction company, and I worked in the estimating department. And ultimately what happens is um, the architect designs a building for a company. So like, for instance, a school, a school district. They're going to contact an architect, and that architect's going to design the school, you know, based upon what the, the client wants. And then um, they're going to print those drawings out and give it to their company that has asked them for them. And then that company is going to give it to a whole bunch of builders and going to say, okay, give us a price. Tell us what you can do this for. And then each of those builders provides those same plans to subcontractors. So, like, you know, they're going to hand them out to a bunch of roofers and a bunch of um, excavators and a bunch of electricians and carpenters and painters. And um, they're going to look at those jobs and then the subcontractor is going to give the general contractor a quote for what they can do, how much they can do that specific portion of the job. So, for instance, um, you know, Brother Ron, for instance, he would be like a general contractor. So he's going to build, a, he's gonna build a, the, the church over there or this, you know, extra portion of the church. So he got a quote from a flooring guy that says, okay, I can do the rooms carpeted this way, I can do the gym floor this way, I can do this this way. And then he gave the whole quote to pastor saying, okay, here's what's painting and everything, this is what we're going to do. So my department that I was in, um, our job was to plug all the numbers into a spreadsheet and give the grand total to the company that we felt like we could build this job for. And um, ultimately, when all the general contractors had turned in their bid, Whoever was the lowest was the winner. That was the person that was going to get to build this building. But you had to be extra careful when a bid came in that was super low. Um, like, for instance, all the other flooring companies came in and said, I can build this job for $10,000. I can, I can do all your flooring for $10,000. But then you had a flooring guy that came in and said, well, I can do it for $5,000. That's a pretty big difference, five and 10000 and we would have to go line by line through their bid and see, did they include every little thing? For instance, um, a lot of times when they had something that low, you would notice like, oh, they quoted for 
um, linoleum floors when it should have been hardwood floors. Well, then that changes their bid, and they're no longer the lower bid. Usually, you're going to find that those low bids were missing something. And the thing is, when you, when you do that, you, you have to pay for it somewhere. When, when somebody has misquoted you or somebody's put in a low bid and they've missed that detail, somebody's going to pay for it. Every day, things are bidding for our time. Every day. And if we aren't careful of what we select, we're going to pay for it. Or our family's going to pay for it. Or our church or our ministry is going to pay for it. Somebody will pay for it. Because when you, when you take up all that free time and leave nothing for God, something will, your, your relationship will fail with him. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 in the Amplified says, Therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who um, tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people, making the very most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. This verse in King James, and I believe actually my husband taught on this the other um, couple weeks ago. It says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word redeeming in the Greek means to buy up at the marketplace. The Bible is saying that if we walk wise, we can actually redeem the time. It becomes a commodity to us. Like, it, it's, it, it's ours. It's not, it's not the soccer game that I got to go to or the, um, you know, the, it, it's, it's ours. It's a commodity to us. When we get all scatterbrained through our spiritual walk, it's, it's important to make sure that our choices are thoughtful. Just like a builder has to weigh out his options for materials and subcontractors, we must decide who and what is going to surround us to help us build our spiritual house. If I'm going to make the most out of the time that God has given me on this earth, then I need to be friends, I need to be looking for friends who are interested in pairing up with me to teach a Bible study, rather than a friend who's looking to have another gossip buddy. <laughs> and... and if I'm going to make the most out of the time God has given me, then I'm going to see where I can minister in the church, where my, my talents can be used, rather than filling my time with baseball games and basketball games and soccer games, I'm talking as a parent, or yoga classes, going to the gym. Now, it's, don't, don't turn me out. I'm not saying that those things are bad. Those things are necessary. Those things are great for our kids to be involved in or for us to be involved in. But I'm just meaning that. We have got to use our time as a commodity. We must look for opportunities to do God's work before we just start stuffing and cramming our schedule full of things that are, are not going to really mean anything in the long run. So now that we've got our blueprints, we've got our people, we've got the equipment, we've got a builder, it's time to get building. Now, I've, this is class participation. Does anybody know what the first step in the actual process after you got all those people what's the first thing that you do anybody foundation is that what most of you say wrong 
wrong? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, a little bit. But before you can, before you can, dig, before you can put a foundation, you got to have a hole to put a foundation in. you got to excavate. Actually, it was really, really fun. I see Sister Bernadette. I was super excited. She's also building in the same area that we're building in. And I was super excited because the one day we were moving in and I saw they were digging a hole. And I said, you have a hole? I'm so excited for you. It's so fun. And so it was, it's, that's like such a fun process. The first thing that you have to do is you have to excavate. There's a, there's a land, a piece of land, and you've got to clear out all the brush. You've got to clear out all the, you've got to make it like a, a good tilled land and dig in there and get, get the area ready for the foundation to actually be poured. Um, but before they do that, they have to bulldoze that. Pretty much they make it a blank slate. Now, at the beginning I told you that I was thinking of teaching um, on a different topic. And the topic that I had thought to teach on was the story of Josiah, which um, I, don't, I don't know why. I just don't feel like I heard that a whole lot growing up. I, I don't know. Um, and, um, but Josiah's father and the men that had come before him were very wicked men. Josiah became a, a king at a very young age. I, I feel like it was said it was like eight or something. Do you know? I don't know. Anyways, he was young. Okay. He was like, like 10. I don't know. But anyways, he was young. Josiah became king at the young age, and one of the first things we learned about Josiah is how he began to get rid of all the bad things that the men before him had allowed in. In 2 Chronicles 34.3, it says that he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves, and he cleaned the carved images and the molten images. He broke down the altars of Balaam, the carved images he'd break and made dust of them and put them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. In verse 8 it says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, I don't know, the son of Azilah, and uh, Maasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. Josiah knew before he could ever repair the house, 18 years before that, before he could ever repair the house, he was going to have to get rid of some things. He didn't just get rid of them. It says he literally like pulverized them. He ground them down. It was almost like a, 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 he was kind of being a little sassy. He ground them down, and he threw it on the graves. He's like, y'all are dead. I'm putting this nasty crap back on you. Are you allowed to say crap on the pulpit? I'm so sorry. Very sorry for that. (laughs) Very sorry. (laughs) But he he did. He pulverized it. He's like, y'all are the evilest people, and I'm going to put this right back on your grave. It's going to fertilize your grave because this is what you've done to us. Y'all did this in the first place. Before we can ever think of building a spiritual home, we have to get a clean slate. For some of us, I don't know if there are any um, guests in here that haven't been born again or haven't received the Holy Ghost. For some of us, that's that, that's that starting point, is receiving the Holy Ghost, getting baptized, getting your sins washed away. But for those of us that have been in church for a while and have, have already lived, you know, trying to live a Christian life, this is where we have to be like Paul. We have to die daily to our flesh, clearing out every day those things that get in the way of laying down a solid foundation. It's not enough to just tuck those things away. Josiah could have easily said, 
okay, yeah, let's take those. Let's take the graven images. We're just going to put them in the basement. We're going to melt them down later. We're going to make like another little, you know, an end table here in the, in the tabernacle. We're going to do that. No, he crushed them. He pulverized them. He completely obliterated them. So now for us, that might mean we're going to have, when we're building a spiritual home, that we're going to have to completely sever ties with some things. It's going to look different for each of us. For some of us, it may be severing ties with a friend, quitting a club or an organization, refrain from certain establishments that, that you know, make you trip up, cutting out certain shows or certain entertainments that don't do well for your soul. It can't be a mentality of, Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put that away for a little while until I feel like I'm okay, and then and then we're you know and then I'll and then I'll see how it goes. No, it's got to be cleared out. It's got to be pulverized. You've got to get rid of it. So now we've got we've got the you know we've got our excavating done, and now it's time to for the foundation. Ephesians 2:19 through 22 says, "Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God." And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you are builded together for a habitation of God through the spirit. Now this is a hefty verse. This probably could be a sermon all on its own truthfully. But let's look at some key phrases in it. It says built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There are men and women, both in the Bible and in church history, who have started a foundation. Peter and Paul, those are the ones that I really look at in the Bible that have laid a foundation for us. Our bishop and, our, and Sister Blayla, our pastor and Sister Kim, those are those people. Brother, brother uh, Godwin, who's going to be here today, Sister Venga, Vesta Mangan, those are people, prophets and teachers and apostles that have laid a foundation for us. They have given us a good, solid foundation. And then the verse goes on to say, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. This denotes the stone placed at the extreme corner so as to bind the other stones in the building together. The most important stone in the structure. The one who is the stability that we have depended. I, who here is thankful today that we have got a cornerstone? Somebody, when everything else is shaky... He is a solid rock. He's a firm foundation, right? I'm thankful he's immovable, ever-present, the help that's holding me up. Then at the end of the verse it says, And whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. This tells us that the church body is like a building. It's fitly designed, perfectly designed by the great architect, it's not a haphazard pile of stones. It's not randomly dumped in a field. God arranges the church for his own glory and purposes. This scripture tells me that we can't be willy-nilly about how we're doing things. Brick by brick, we must make sure that we are walking and asking God to keep us in line every step. This really spoke to me. Truthfully, it, it, it truly convicted me, honestly. Because, you know, most of you are, are, you know, have something else going on besides church. You're a mother or a father. You're a husband or a wife. You're a student or a teacher. You're a boss or an employee. 
And sometimes you're just spent. You come to church and you are spent. And so then when you go into your ministry or you do things, hap- you, you, you start to do things haphazardly. Haphazardly. Come on, somebody. You start to just do things. You're just like, okay, I'm here. I'm here. Right? I'm here. Isn't that what counts? Oh, I mean, yes, we're glad that you're here. But that's not what God wants. We're fitly framed together. You can't be fitly framed together and all willy-nilly. It doesn't work that way. A stone is, is strong. When we walk into these doors, we got to be strong. we got to come in here saying, I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I've been asked to do. I'm going to do what I've been asked by not just pastor or a ministry leader. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. If you have accepted, yeah, that's, that's right. Hallelujah. If you've accepted any role here at the church, do it with precision and excellence. If you're in that cafe, you roll them burritos like you are the manager at Chipotle. Y'all hear me? You roll them burritos. That's right. If you're a Sunday school teacher, well, then you teach your lesson the best that they don't want to get promoted out of your class because they love your class so much. If you're cleaning the church, then you do it so that you can eat off the floor. Hallelujah, Sister Kylie. You got this, girl. She's looking clean. You do it with precision and excellence. And let me just say, I, it, it's, I don't think people quite understand. And I'm going to give you a little, like, scenario. I'm not, hopefully, I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I really have not had this situation happen. So I'm just giving you an out-of-the-wall situation. Let's say Brother Ron wakes up in the morning and he's like, yeah, I'm not doing cafe today. They'll figure it out. I'm not going to make any cafe today. I'm not, I'm not doing donuts, nothing. Doesn't tell anybody. So then Sister Kenzie and Brother Austin and their two fine, beautiful little children come in, and they're ready to eat breakfast. There's no breakfast. Brother Ron decided not to do it. Well, Brother Austin's got to teach, so he's going to come in here hangry teaching. And Sister Kenzie has got to lead worship, but she's got to figure out how to feed her two kids because I can fast. My kids, I need to feed my kids. So now she's got to miss the first part of service. Her kids got to miss Sunday school so she can go get them breakfast. So then she's coming back here all frazzled because she's trying to find something for her kids. Her husband's up here te- teaching on an empty stomach, ball of nerves. And now she's got to lead worship, frustrated because she had to do this because her dad didn't tell nobody nothing. And then she's, and then now she's got to lead the congregation. And you all start to feel that she's just really not into it. So now one man's little decision has affected the whole church. Your decision to or not to invest yourself wholeheartedly in your ministry affects everyone. Everyone. I like when y'all clap because then I can get me a drink. Extra thirsty. Extra thirsty. So, next comes the walls. Now, if you've ever built a house, that is like the, one of the most fun things. I didn't say funnest. I just like to point that out. I didn't say funnest because I get in trouble when I say funnest because apparently it's not a word. But the walls are the most fun, one of the most fun things because it actually starts to look like a house. Like you were like, oh, it's not just a hole anymore. It's a house. Yay. Um, so, the walls are used for both protection and to distinguish where our living space is. They set boundaries for what's supposed to be going on in a particular room. This is the living room where we sit. This is the kitchen where we eat. These are the bedrooms where we sleep. This is the laundry where Stephen does the laundry. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Amen. He does do a lot. Um, So 
you can't just have one wall in your house. We actually, we really, really wanted an open concept in our house. And, um, and we, for the most part, we do have an open concept. But I'm very excited that they didn't do an open concept for our bathrooms. I'm really glad that they put walls around the bathrooms. You know, that's important. We must have boundaries in place no matter where we are. If we're at work, if we're at school, if with our family, with our friends, at our church, we've got to have boundaries. There's actually even, um, most of you probably know, there's what they call load-bearing walls. So, okay, the, the wall in between uh, our uh, between our closets, Stephen has a closet and I have a closet, that wall in between those closets is not load-bearing. So we can knock that wall out and there would be no problem. If I just want to make a big walk-in closet, Dad, after church, we're going to knock that wall <laughs> It's no big deal because it's not a load-bearing wall, okay? But I have no idea where the load-bearing wall in our house is. That's really above me. But there are absolutely walls that we cannot move because they are bearing the weight of our entire home on them. You better be real careful before you start knocking out boundaries. If you have got a boundary, Pastor and Sister Kim have been talking about some of those boundaries on Wednesday night. If you start knocking out those boundaries, the whole house is affected by that. Your roof starts to sag. Your walls start to crack. There is damage done to your house that is costly and somewhat irrepar irreparable. When the, the Bible says in Psalms 19, 8 through 11 in the Amplified, the law of the Lord is perfect flawless, restoring and refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are reliable and trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, reminded, and illuminated, and instructed in keeping them in the great reward. When we keep our boundaries, there is a great reward. In, those, in that scripture that, we just read, that I just read, it talked about bringing joy and light, enduring forever righteousness. Boundaries, people think boundaries are some kind of evil word. They're pure. They're clean. They're trustworthy. They're reliable. That's why we have to have them is so that we don't start to fall. We don't start to have cracks in our relationships, with, in our relationship with God and with our church family. We've got to have those walls up, those boundaries up. So I know sometimes walls, people talk about negatively. Walls are there for a reason, to protect and to guide. Now, the next thing that we got to have, once the walls are up, this is also one of my favorite things, is the roof. So mo probably one of the most important things that you can have on your house. Now, okay, so I was super excited when our roof was going on for two reasons. One is when I drove by, I noticed that there were Amish men building our roof. I was like, listen, every other thing in this house could fall down, and that roof is going to stay standing. <laughs> if there's something I want the Amish building, it is my roof. I was super excited. <clears throat> we had, um, the other reason I was super excited is because, hold on. Um, because 
I don't know if you guys heard this. I heard this on the radio that um, it was actually like we like broke records for how much rain we had at the beginning of the summer. That's actually why the leaves didn't turn as quickly. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but we didn't have our leaves turn as quickly because the ground was so saturated. And that happened in May and June. But the Lord was looking down on us because in July we had like no rain. And that was when our house was being built. Our, our house broke ground like July 18th, 19th, something like that. From the time that our house broke ground until at least after we got our roof on, there was no rain. And I was super excited about that because once we got the roof on, I knew that our house was protected. I knew that, you know, if the rain came, that it wasn't going to ruin our subfloor. It wasn't going to ruin our walls. It wasn't going to make them rot or anything because we had a roof on. One of the most important things we can do in building our spiritual home is have a covering. Now, there's, the Bible talks about a covering that a husband and a wife, you know, a husband has over his wife. But each of us has a covering. God has given us a shepherd. He is our covering. Our pastor should be the most important voice in our lives. Think about it. The roof, if there's a, a hole in your roof, even just a tiny little hole, the elements of the outside start to leak in. And the tricky part is, there's a lot of room between those asphalt shingles and your roof trusses and your ceiling. So when a leak starts to come in, it slowly leaks, slowly leaks. Well, by the time that you know that it's leaking, the damage is done. You already have very costly repairs. So submitting to your pastor and listening to his teachings is argu arguably the most important thing you will ever do for your spiritual home. If that's missing, the rest will be ruined. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account, that, ye, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this, for this is unprofitable. I like how the Amplified puts it, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing their authority over you, for they are keeping watch over your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those who will give an account for their stewardship of you. My, my, okay, sorry, I read that wrong. My time is almost up, but I'm going to leave you guys with a few little thoughts. This house that we build, that we just built, even though McKenna is, uh, is going to live in it, we're not going to make her get a job to pay for it. I don't think. At least. Um, we'll see when the mortgage comes due. But in her five-and-a-half-year-old life, now that half is very important if you ever talk to her. She's not five. She's five-and-a-half. Um, I'm not going to make her get on a ladder. I'm not going to make her clear out the gutters. I'm not going to make her mow the lawn. But you better believe that every day that that house was being built, she was driving by. Her grandma, when, when her nana would pick her up for school, she'd drive her by there every day. And she loved seeing the big equipment. She loved seeing the trusses going on. She loved seeing the siding being put on. She loved that. She got to see the progress from the ground up of how her house was being built. She loved it. It was like personal to her. Now that she lives in there, it's like personal to her. I remember also when we started building, my parents took Stephen and I out to dinner, and they started going over everything. They've built a house as well. And so they started telling us, well, don't do this upgrade because this we can do this later. That's going to cost you more. They started teaching us the things that it took to build a home. Parents, grandparents, friends, aunts, uncles, talk about building the house. 
show them how to build the house. It's so important. It's not bragging. When you tell somebody, I prayed for that, I fasted for that, that's not bragging. That's saying, this is how I built the house. This is how I let God build the house. It's not self-righteous to tell someone, I don't feel comfortable going there. That's showing them, I have walls, I have boundaries in my house. If we go back to that initial scripture, Proverbs 14.1, every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. I feel like this scripture is telling us of how important we are in our own house building. I literally imagine playing a game of Jenga, taking out the pieces one by one, hoping that on your turn it doesn't fall. I'm just going to gossip here a little bit. Just going to talk against the pastor here a little bit. I'm going to let this, ooh, I'm going to let this boundary down. Is it going to fall? Is it going to crumble? Why would we do that? Why would we choose to do that? We have a choice to be wise and build up. We can make a sunroom. We can finish the basement. We can add a garage. We add extra prayer time. We start a Bible study. We start doing our ministry with excellence. Or we can be like the foolish and purposefully start taking out and removing those walls without making sure they don't affect the stability of our house. We can stop mowing the lawn. We can stop cleaning out the gutters. We can start removing spiritual boundaries. We can start becoming lazy in our ministry, in our prayer time, in our fasting, in our Bible reading. I think I remember a passage in the Bible that talks about wise and foolish women. The ones waiting for the bridegroom, remember them? There were two of them. There were two sets of them. There were those that were making sure there was oil in their lamp. And then there were those out there that were trying to fix the problem that they had created. Proverbs 2, 3 through 4 says, Through wisdom is a house builded, and by understanding is it established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Today, let us seek out wisdom and knowledge so we can start building our house, furnishing, with it, furnishing it with precious people, precious memories, precious things, rather than tearing it down. Can we all stand? Let's bow our heads and pray.